Clear Eyes Full Shelf Podcast. And the first one of 2014. Yeah. Woohoo! Woo! Raise the roof, guys. Okay. <laughs> so, today we He's are... You're so hip-hop, abs- I know. <laughs> I totally look it, too. Uh, we are so thrilled today to introduce uh, a really wonderful author. I just discovered her last year, and I'm kind of working my way through her backlist, and I... Already read an early copy of her book coming out in a couple weeks. Is it a week? It's a couple. Well, by the time we publish this, it'll be probably It'll be out. about a week. So. <laughs> by the time you hear this. And that is Elizabeth Scott, author Ooh. of many books. Yeah. Heartbeat, Miracle. Including Love Miracle, which you. is a book that has not gotten nearly the love it deserves, I have to say. So, Thank welcome, you. Elizabeth. Yay! Yay. Thank you, Sarah and Laura. Uh, this has been a very interesting podcast so far. I'm only sorry people aren't going to get to hear the stuff we did before the introduction. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I'm very conscientious about not hitting record before it's like the real start, and I think I've missed some really wonderful outtakes. <laughs> so, Elizabeth, do you want to tell us a little bit about Heartbeat and you know about yourself as an awesome? person and author oh yeah audience (laughs) thanks i'm blushing um (laughs) the heartbeat is my 12th novel um it's about a girl named emma whose mother uh died but she was pregnant and the baby lived and her stepfather made the decision to put her mother on life support and emma's really wrestling with that because basically every day she gets to go and visit her mother except her mother's dead. That's, okay. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, I it's just, more. <laughs> um, yeah, I was like, well, is there anything else that we can, because it's, it's actually got a very, um, sort of warm tone by the end of the book. <laughs> so I, I'm thinking how we can kind of sell it a little more. Yeah, in terms about of, how she works yeah. through. <laughs> well, I mean, for these things that have happened to her and how she I, kind of well, moves like, through but, that. Yeah, the sudden death of a parent is, something it's huge and it basically destroys Emma's life um but the story is about how um she comes to realize that I mean I think she comes to a better understanding of not just her family but of herself and she also has a romance with a really cute boy Caleb and that was totally fun to write because it was my first time ever writing a bad boy and I liked that Caleb was legitimately a bad boy and not, like, one of those, quote, bad boys who turns well, out to just... The emo of- boy, yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, no, he is legit, like, he... No, he's legit he a bad boy. Cars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's done, and as it comes out, you know, I think in the beginning she wants him to be the typical bad boy, but it turns out he's done some really awful things, but those, the things he's done... It makes him able to understand her pain, and I think that one of the best parts of the romance, at least for me, is that they help each other heal. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's especially you know when something catastrophic happens, finding someone who can help you move past that is just amazing. It's a really satisfying romance because they like they both feel so alone at the beginning of the book. And Yeah, there's nothing lonelier than feeling like not only has she lost her mother physically, but like her mother was her friend too. Yeah. So there's like nothing more devastating than like 
losing that physical presence and then also feeling like nobody understands you. There's nothing lonelier than that. And she's also lost her stepfather because their relationship is fractured over his decision um, without consulting her. Um, I mean, when the book opens, she's lost her entire world. I mean, she's lost her mother, who was her friend, (coughs) stepfather, you know, and she's just, I mean, she's lost interest in everything that she thought she wanted. Um, Like, one of the things, this was my first time also writing a girl who was really into school. I've never done that before with a character. And it was really interesting to write the the hints of the before and how driven she was and then how she just, it all basically just fell apart for her and she just realized, I don't care about any of this anymore. Yeah, I thought that was one of the most fascinating parts of her character because she was somebody who thought she was ready to take on the world and for these grown-up things. And I feel like in some ways her stepfather didn't, really have to parent her that much because she was so self-driven to do well in school and be well-behaved and do all these things. And so it's not just that, like, the relationship changes because the mother's not there, but it's also because, like, he's never really had to, like, be on her case as that kind of parent who... Exactly. Has to be like, do your homework. You need to be home. Where are you? What are you doing? Like, he's never had to do that before because he's always been able to trust her to just be doing good things. So it's like she's become a stranger to him as well. I think so, absolutely. And there's flashbacks in the book where you can tell, you can, you know, there's conversations with her and her mother, and her mother's trying to get her to not be so focused on her life plan and to kind of like actually have a life and like having, like I said, having never written a character like that before, it was just really interesting to see that you can be really driven. And then if something unexpected happens, you can just be like, everything just stops. And you're just like, why did I even bother doing all this? I think Emma feels, I know, well, I guess since I wrote the book, I can say, <laughs> I know she feels a lot of regret for things she didn't do while her mother was alive. Yeah, and you get these little snippets of things where instead of, like, I think watching movie, a movie with yeah, her mom, she would be, like, doing and, extra credit. Yeah. yeah. And um, and I think that what, what was most interesting, there are a lot of things that were interesting for me with Heartbreak, but the thing that I keep, Laura and I keep talking about it over and over again is how angry Emma is about it's not just what happened to her mother but the way that she's completely disempowered from her life yes and and it's interesting because I was afraid my editor was going to be like yeah this because I've had editors in the past um tell me that my main characters are too angry and ask me to tone them down um and Tasha that's my editor at Harlequin Teen um she was like no, I'm all for Emma being angry. Let's focus. Let's go into that. Let's explore that. And it was interesting to do that because I'd never really been able to write a character who let her anger literally take over her life. Yeah, and I, 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 think, I think that's also why it felt so real. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. Um, I mean, I I feel like some people some of the reaction that I've read 
there it's has not been... so understanding of her anger, I guess. But I mean, I feel like in this situation, this is a really stressful situation on a number of levels. But I think the disempowerment thing is a really um, big part of it because I mean, she still has to go to school every day. She still has right. to go to the hospital every day to like see her mother. brain dead mother. I mean, brain dead is legally dead, you yeah. know. So and. I mean, and just the little things she does to try to exert some control, like how she stops trying to achieve in school. Mm-hmm. That's a, like, it's really not healthy for her, but it's something she can control. Yeah. And how she makes her stepfather drive her to school instead of getting a ride with her friend. And, like, those, yeah. those things, like, those little things that she can control, it's this... Is really, I felt like it was really real. Yeah. And not necessarily healthy, because, I mean, right. it's... Um, but what, those were the things she could yeah. do that she could And, control. like, one of the things she could also control was also because she wouldn't allow her stepfather to be in the same room with her and her mother's body, right. um, when she went to visit that the was... hospital. So she could control that, like, half an hour of time and what she was doing with her mother and what she said. That was, those scenes were really so, heartbreaking. Yeah. They really, those really got me. But um, it's really interesting that you guys are bringing up Emma's anger, especially because, like, um, there have been increasingly negative reviews coming out, calling Emma selfish and, among other things, for her actions in the book. And on the one hand, I can see why you might describe her actions as selfish. But on the other hand, I think her actions are just a byproduct of her grief. It's not that she hates the baby. She just, she feels powerless. And when you feel powerless, you tend to lash out. And as you mentioned, she is, there's so, there's not much in her own life that she can control. And being angry, I think, is one of the few things she can hold on to. And it's almost like she needs it because without it, I think she would just break down completely. Yeah, I think that's the thing she can, like, grasp. Yeah. um, And I don't think that's, I mean, even for, you know, people who are, and particularly teens who are in not even situations as severe as that, but that feeling of not being able to control your own life when you're that age can be very overwhelming for some people. And that's, I mean, it can be overwhelming for adults as well, but when you are that age, the reality is a lot of decisions are just made for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that experience is one that, that teenagers will really identify with. Yeah. Even if it's something that the actual circumstances of Emma's anger are right more extreme than most young yes. people will experience. Right. Well, empowerment is always a theme in gross growing up being a teenager because, you know, you have teenagers who are like, I'm growing up. I deserve my independence. You know, you should be letting me do these things that I want to do. But then there's other things that happen to them, and they're just like, oh, shit, I really do need this adult in my life. I can't do this. And it's a really, like, the dichotomy of that is something that teenagers really have to struggle with. Yeah, it reminds me, actually, of something I wrote on my bio on my website, is that when you're a teenager, you're expected to basically map out the entire rest of your life while also, like, listening to your parents, listening to everyone at school, worrying about what your friends say. And it's it's, it's just so much going on. And I think it's really easy as an adult to forget 
what it's like to have all that pressure on you and at the same time to like not really have as much say as you might like in your own future. Yeah, and I think a lot of adults forget that they don't have a say in their like that they do have a say in their lives. I feel like a lot of adults don't they feel like they don't have control of their lives too because they're just like, "Oh, I can't do this because of my job or I can't change my job because I'll lose my benefits or something like that." You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like a lot of adults deal with those kind of struggles yeah. too. They do. It's just, unfortunately, I find teenage struggles much more interesting than they adult. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with you. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, the other thing with, with Emma and her anger is is that visceral reaction, I think, that, um, and it's, like, I think, a cultural thing that we often have when when girls in particular get get angry. Yeah. There's something that's, like, unbecoming or unacceptable and right. I mean, it's that we hit on, we hammer on this particular subject all the time. It yeah. can start to feel like a broken record. But, no, but the, it's true. But the angry boy that, is like the sort of was bad boy. Was not, you but, know, I think that's why, I mean, some of these reviews have made me think if Emma was a guy yes, and was free, yes. would that be more acceptable? Because it's okay for teenage boys to be angry, but yeah. teenage girls, not so much. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting. It's I mean, it's almost, it's almost with. I mean, I, I haven't been a teenager for a really long time, but, you know, it's almost expected that boys, you know, back in the day, yeah. it, was, it was sort of like, oh, you know, he's pissed off, he takes the wall, he, you know, yeah. like, you know, like they get in a fight, like romanticized in boys, like, you know, it's like the whole, like, James Dean, Rebel Without a Cause thing. Yeah, he got mad kind of and stuff. punched someone, and, like, yeah. isn't he, like, there is a sort of romanticism of that in boys, but with girls, there's that expectation of, um... I don't expect, it's, it's more <clears throat> thing of, like, I guess raw emotion is, especially if it's negative, mm-hmm. it's maybe more difficult to accept yeah. from a female teenager or adult, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think it's, I mean, that's... <clears throat> I'm getting over the stupid cold, and now my voice sounds like crap. Um, I think it's it, it. There is this where with girls, there's an expectation of being more self-contained or self-controlled or something that's more. Yeah, and there's also this idea that if they are quote unquote acting out, that they are. Just being a crazy girl who has their period or something. You know what I mean? Like, it's not justifiable to people for a girl to have those kinds of strong emotions. Yeah, I mean, and I've gotten that a lot with different books. Uh, You know, where I've written books where female characters are unhappy or suffering. And I've, you know, I've gotten reviews along the lines of, you know, this person is a horrible person for feeling this way. Um, it was particularly interesting with Miracle when people were very, very angry with the main character, you know, who's suffering from PTSD. And it's, I, it was just interesting to me to see how angry people were at her for the way she acted because she had PTSD. Yeah. It's so strange to me because I think that your books have such an authentic teenage voice. Like, I listen to Love You, Hate You, Miss You on audio, 
And, like, I really felt like that was a teenager, like, how they talked and, like, how they felt and how they acted. Like, I felt like she was, like... What was that? I think emotional age is about 16. That's probably, I mean, why I love writing YA because, like I said, my emotional age is probably about 16. It's something I'm <laughs> really easily. But yeah, actually, it's funny that you mentioned Love You, Hate You, Miss You. That's another book along with Miracle that, like, kind of came out and just sort of disappeared. But the people who love that book, Bless all of you, all four of you. Like, <laughs> just been so supportive of it, and that is like that is an author. That's the kind of thing that just makes you glad that you're writing. Yeah, I re- I recommend the hell out of Miracle all the time as well yeah. because I feel like that just didn't get the attention. There. Yeah, actually, between the two, I think I preferred Love You, Hate You, Miss You. Yeah, I know that's a big favorite of yours. Yeah, but I mean, I did like Miracle a great deal, but for some reason, like. Love you, hate you, miss you. Really like hit all those notes for me for some reason. I really, yeah. I really like the boy in Miracle a lot. <laughs> I have to say, I'm not usually one to like. Oh, I like this book for the, but I, I have a real soft spot for the boy in Miracle. Yeah, yeah. I think love you. I mean, Miracle is probably less successful because the heroine is suffering from PTSD. Mm-hmm. Which is not a state that makes you conducive to like normal human emotions. Yeah. And love hate you miss you is very raw. It's about yes. the best friend, you know, that and one of the things that I found interesting when I was writing Heartbeat is how just Emma was just like flayed open. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean she's just nothing but pain. I like I don't even know how you couldn't feel that way in that situation. I mean, I I don't even know how it would be possible to not just be so angry at the world if that happened. Because a lot of people are like, oh, she's acting like a 13-year-old. Why won't she act like a 17-year-old? I'm just like, I know like 55-year-olds well, who would act that way in I've that situation. I've been following that, that story in Texas that's actually very similar to the circumstances of Emma's mother. Uh-huh. And I have to add in here, the situation in Texas is political. Yeah. That may be coming into some of the reviews. I would be surprised. I specifically set out to make Miracle not about politics or anything. I just want it to be about a girl who'd lost her mother and was just furious that her mother was gone and lashed out and, as you've mentioned, tried to take control of what little she could, no matter how self-destructive it might be. Yeah, and even, I mean, the parallel with the thing in Texas is more that the interviews that I've read have been so heartbreaking in terms of the way, I mean, these are adults and they're, the anguish that they have over that situation is very, it's hard. It's really hard. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of, there's very few cases um, where women die and um, the baby survives. The few I read about uh, when I was researching Heartbeat, um, it's just, you know, awful stuff. And none of them, of course, involved the teenager. So that was one of the things that got me, you know, thinking was after I read the first obituary, I was like, well, what if the baby lived? And then I was like, and what if she had, like, an older sister. Yeah. Yeah. So Laura and Laura and I were discussing this. We 
this Laura and I like get on the text messaging in the middle of the day and like we text about books like we it's like daily books. How could somebody say <laughs> this about this book that I have it's so like much. daily books with book rage or something? <laughs> I mean, I think like ninety nine percent of what our text messages are are like book rage because we're like the biggest nerds <laughs> ever. It's really like weird in case anyone was under the illusion we were in any way, shape or form cool. This well, should and our husbands are not very sympathetic to our book rage. Well, and when my phone, like, starts beeping, like, beep, 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 he's like, oh, what are you and Laura mad about now? <laughs> like, what book thing made you guys mad? <laughs> he thinks it's really funny. Well, like, you know what, sometimes I'll try to talk to my husband about it, and then he'll be like, he'll kind of, his eyes will blaze over, and then he'll be like, shouldn't you be talking to Sarah about this? And I'm like, fine, I'll get on my phone and ignore you then. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> but in our, our, I think our book weight rage conversation on Thursday or Friday, whatever day it was, that's really been, it's like an everyday thing, isn't yes, it? it? it that's is embarrassing. Um, Laura had brought up a really interesting. Bone logs now, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Laura had um, brought up an interesting point about, um, in Heartbeat in particular, and I think it's also something that just, you see it in a lot of, um, the way we talk about books and sort of expectations of books and stories is the idea of um, sort of earning love. And one of the neat things that you did with Heartbeat is that, you, Laura, you said this better than I can since I'm paraphrasing you. Oh, but, um, what did I say? You said that Emma doesn't necessarily earn the love. Yeah, from and I Caleb. think also that it's. What's what his name, Caleb? Yes. Caleb. Okay. Yeah. Caleb. Right? <laughs> You're not making Yeah. <laughs> okay. So Emma and um, Caleb don't necessarily earn love from, you know, each other and from other people, you know? And I feel like... In, like they're loved because they're worthy of love. Yeah. Like yeah, you have to deserve it or be worthy of it because you are a good enough person, quote, unquote, to get it, and I think that's something that you see in YA a lot, is where, like, the people, you know, they like a boy, a boy and a girl like each other, right? Um, but they have issues, um, they can't get together because they're both dealing with their own shit, and then, but they are able to work through their shit, and then at the end they get together because now that they've worked through their shit, they've earned the right to be together, and I feel like... Readers uh, have an issue when that doesn't happen. Yeah, I mean, I'm. It's interesting with um, Caleb and Emma. Um, for me, it was more about two really messed up people finding mm-hmm. each other, and I mean, I like to think that they fall in love, but it's not like. I guess. It's more about the finding someone who is willing to accept you for who you are mm-hmm. yes. and overcoming a series of obstacles. It's just they're both so damaged, and he's completely convinced that he is a horrible person, fundamentally unlovable. Mm-hmm. And she comes along, and it's not that she's like, oh, you know, you have saved me. But it's yeah, more yeah. like, hey, we found each other, yeah, and maybe yeah. together we can 
not it's not about being perfect or even being together. It's just about being there for each other. Yeah, it's like they they realize that they can have something real. Yeah, uh-huh. without a lot of conditions attached to but, it. Absolutely, yes, a hundred percent, yes. And I thought that was—I mean—that's a pretty unusual um, story arc in terms of a romantic relationship, right. especially in YA. I, it sticks out to me. Um, and well, when I, you know, when I came up with the when I came up with Caleb, I knew that he wasn't the kind of guy who was going to sweep in and save Emma. Um, for one thing, I didn't want Emma to be saved. I knew she needed to save herself, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I just, with Caleb, she finds someone who gets what it's like to have everything disappear and to have, to be lost. And Caleb, you know, has been through a lot of stuff. And like I mentioned before, he's not the stereotypical bad guy. I mean, he, you know, he's done some genuinely bad things. And it was just, that for me was interesting to write. Write a legitimately flawed male character. Yeah. It kind of actually, have you read um, Trish Dollar's Where the Stars Still Shine? I haven't. I've heard it's fantastic. It's really good. Really, it was one of my favorite books I read last year. And um, the relationship in that book has a lot of those same qualities. Yeah. these these young people have issues and they're able to get out of their relationship together a lot that they both need, but it's in many ways very unconditional and right. really, really wonderful. Like it's, it's really a wonderful story arc as well, but there are, I, it's a, it's a hard, I'm, I'm like fishing my, my photographic memory for, um, <laughs> for other, relationship narratives that work that way and it's hard to sort of well i think in another of elizabeth scott's books (laughs) love you hate you miss you i think it was like that with amy and patrick i felt Uh, it was like that where they didn't where amy was a really messed up girl for many legit reasons you know just being a teenager and then a lot of other stuff but i don't really feel like she had to earn love to receive it no, I mean she's she's a girl who's absolutely terrified of intimacy, and yeah, there's the I think there's a scene towards the beginning of the book where she has a moment with Patrick, and she just freaks out because it's not what she's used to. Yeah. Um, and I mean, forgive me, it's been a while since I've even thought about love you, hate you, miss you, but <laughs> love you, hate you, miss you is just. Uh, I think it's one of the rawer things I've ever written because it's about a girl who's not only lost her best friend, but is forced to reevaluate that friendship and to see that the person she loved so much maybe didn't love her as much as she thought. Yeah, and there's a, a thing that people do, I think, when people die is to kind of romanticize or sanitize that person Mm -hmm. and I thought it was really great that you didn't do that in Love You Hate You Miss You that the the point of it was that like she loved her friend even if her friend didn't you know deserve it per se her friend wasn't perfect you know yeah I mean I wouldn't yeah I mean I think it was just about realizing that 
I mean, a lot of my books deal with, like, someone pointed this out once, and I was like, oh, I never realized this, but a lot of my books are about loss. Mm-hmm. And in Love You, Hate You, Miss You, you know, it's the loss of a best friend, and, you know, the uh, for Amy, there's also the realization that no matter how hard she tries, her parents are always going to be so crazy in love that she's never really going to fully be in there as much as she wants to. And that was one of the things I was actually most proud of about the book. And I was really kind of disappointed that more people weren't like, oh, my gosh, this is a story where the parents are so in love with each other. They don't really notice that their kid exists. What, you were disappointed that people didn't see that or that? They didn't really seem to notice that because I just thought it was because usually it seems in YA like either the parents are like non-existent or they're like there and they're friends with their kids. But in Love You, Hate You, Miss You, I wanted to write about parents who loved each other so much that their kid was just sort of tacked on. Yeah, and I think that it wasn't... I thought that book, uh, the way the parents were, it was definitely uh, a really unusual portrayal of parents because it's not something... Usually the parents are divorced or absent, like you said, or very involved in parenting, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, in a way, I I really liked how you portrayed them as parents whose sole focus in life maybe wasn't parenting. And that was something that this family had to deal with, like, in the aftermath of what happened with Amy and her friend. And uh, one of the things about Heartbeat was, like, doing, trying to show her relationship with her mother, you know, which was interesting because it's all done via flashbacks since mm-hmm. her mother's dead. And I liked the relationship Emma had with her mother. You know, they were close, and they'd been together for a long time. And then when Dan comes into the picture, you know, it was just interesting to write from, they were so happy together for a long time and then when her mother died it was just that was it Mm -hmm. it was sort of like everything just fell apart oh yeah sorry yeah i you know my mom uh blogs with us as well and um, she read, she was the first of the three of us to read Heartbeat. Oh, she was. I yeah. Read you. Okay. And no, it was my mom. And my mom sent me a semi crazy email, <laughs> as she is wont to do, <laughs> in the middle of the night. <laughs> as she is also wont to do. Like, she, she gets out of bed to email <laughs> in the middle of the night. <laughs> It's so it's so common that I don't even realize how funny it is until I mention she's done this. Yeah, <laughs> and um, she had stayed up till all hours reading Heartbeat, oh, and wow. yeah, and she had uh, and she got up to email me, and she had she that was the the relationship between Emma and her mother, and then how it and how happy they are really resonated with her, and um, and then how that sort of that whole thing just sort of crumbles. Uh-huh. It was really, yeah, she she found that to be really, like, gut-wrenching. Yeah. Probably because, I mean, my mom and I are really close. And right. I'm sure there was a lot of <laughs> that wrapped up in, in her um, distress over it. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was one, of, I mean, she, she did send me this, like, lengthy email about how much she loved it, and that 
that thing where that relationship was so strong and then it just, the sort of shattering. Yeah, it was like really like, you know, glass just breaking and falling into shards. That was, Yeah. Um, no, definitely. Because when you read the flashback scenes, it seems like, you know, Dan is her stepfather, but it seems like they really managed to all come together and really become one family mm-hmm. and really be happy together. And then when this happens to her mother, like, it's like her mother was the anchor of the family. Yeah. And it's like the anchor is just gone. Like, so maybe, like, I, were they not as happy as they thought? Or Yeah, you know the way it's sort mean? of, like, There's all those questions of, and doubt yeah. and all of that and the way... Emma starts to sort of construct her own reality of what yeah. was happening. Cause I like, think did Dan really think Emma mattered at all since he went yeah. and made this decision without her about her mother? You know what I mean? Yeah. But see, I think the thing is that Dan, I mean, I think that Dan didn't stop loving Emma or anything like that. I think, like, he was as grief-stricken as Emma was, and he just didn't think. He just... Acted. That and that was right. how he reacted. In, 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 his reaction, and then Emma was like, "Okay, but you kind of, you know, and that when, you know, you forgot about me." I thought there were some interesting parallels in Emma and Dan's yeah, and stories in right. a lot of ways, even though hers manifested in the anger. Yeah, and, and, his, and his was more withdrawal in some ways. Yeah. yeah and, and a, you know, in the just the absolute conviction that you know, if the baby's born, everything will be okay. It'll like be fixed somehow, and that yeah. he just had. It's like he's he latches onto this, and like there's the way their story arcs sort of are parallel. Even though Dan isn't on the page that much, but you right. see it sort of peppered throughout, and that really, um, it's I like think- they're suffering so much that yeah. they. Like, They're just yeah. blind to what the other person, and I think that happens a lot in these situations. <laughs> yeah, so. and it, but I also think it speaks to how this isn't Emma with her reaction isn't all that different than an adult would be. With Not at all. The, Not at all. You know, they manifest differently, but they're both in many ways sort of impulsively going in a direction because that's what happens when you feel like you can't control anything. Yeah. Um, I mean, these are things, I mean, this is a situation that divides families, you know what I mean? Like, this is something that, like, I mean, there are families where the siblings will never talk to each other again because they could not agree on, like, a really difficult medical ethics situation like this. This happens to adults all the time. Oh, no, definitely. And it's been one of the interesting, I mean, we've, I think we talked about this a little before, it's been one of the interesting things to see in the negative reviews is how angry, I mean, just how people are just so furious with Emma. And I've just found it interesting because no one's been furious at Dan. Yeah. No one. Mm-hmm. It's just, like, I've, I mean, I've had my characters called many a colorful name. So, <laughs> but, you know, Emma reflect her own little collection. Um, and it's interesting because I don't think that I write difficult female characters, but apparently I do. I, I think you actually might write kind of challenging female characters. I, I, I don't know. I might have to break the news to you. That <laughs> I think the rawness with which you write your characters is almost too much for people sometimes, maybe. That it's, like, overwhelming in their rawness. 
that, yeah. like, maybe they don't want to face that in themselves or something. Yeah, because I feel like they're kind of, they're kind of confronting in a lot of ways, and in, in a good way. I mean, that is a positive yeah. thing. I, I know what you mean. It's like uh, when Between Here and Forever came out, I was shocked at how many people called the main character selfish and thoughtless because she wasn't more concerned about her sister being in a coma. And I was just like, oh, okay. But, it, you know, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. It's just interesting to see that if a female... It, it seems to me sometimes that if a female character registers an emotion that isn't 100% positive or isn't, like, supportive of whatever situation she finds herself in, she's not sympathetic. Right. Yeah. Well, I have a question. What do sure. people think about Caleb? Like, are uh, they angry at him, or do they think how he acts and how he feels is justified? Um, mostly. I mean, there's been some people who have just been like, I'm not into the character of Caleb, but I haven't seen anything, like, calling him out specifically. Although, as soon as, like, this debuts, of course, they'll probably be like, hey, <laughs> Caleb, ugh, horrible. But no, I mean, it's, it's interesting. And I don't know that it's necessarily, I mean, I think it might be in part a question of gender. But I think it's more in terms of what readers bring expectation-wise when they read young adult novels. Um and how female characters are constructed in YA. Right. right. Because well, in dystopian and paranormal, you know, there's all there's this huge outside danger that has to be faced. Right. Whereas in contemporary YA, the the danger is just life itself. Well, uh-huh. and I think that's actually, I think that's in a sense kind of what I meant when I said, like, confronting, because that yeah. internal, like that internal danger or fear or what right. that conflict is like, it almost, it can put you back on your heels a bit mm-hmm. as a reader because yeah. it can be like, it can make you uncomfortable and that's, yes. yeah. And you can't, you don't have the end of the world or dragons or, you know, slaughter style execution games. The, 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 they're not there. It's just yourself. Yeah, and I, yeah, I mean, yeah. I think that's why I like, um, whether it's adult or YA, I like the contemporary, realistic yeah. stuff so much, because I like that sort of internal conflict and right. that sort of working through whatever the thing is. Like, I find those stories really satisfying. I mean, I like the, like, okay, actually, dragons freak me out, but, I mean, I do like some <laughs> of the, <laughs> the, you know, not dragons, no dragons. But, you know, some of the other, you know, into the world type stuff. Like, I loved The Hunger Games and what have yeah. you. But, yeah. um, um, I don't, did the, the Susan Beth Pfeiffer book, um, that first one. Uh, oh, the gosh. asteroid oh. book. Yes. With yeah. the, oh my gosh. That was, I mean, wow. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but I, I do tend to go in the, the contemporary realistic vein because I find those internal conflicts so sort of resonant um and but i also think they can be as a reader they can be unnerving too yeah because you can sort of if you're fighting a dragon well i would find that terrifying you don't have if if you don't find it terrifying then yeah Yeah. i mean (laughs) fighting a dragon like that's sort of it's less in many ways even though the it's more concrete though than 
facing yes. your inner fears, like fighting your yourself, inner doubts. You know <laughs> what I mean? And so. it makes it. I think it actually makes it easier to relate to the characters when there's an outside force that's beyond their, uh, beyond their capability. You know, that's not them. Do you it's, know what I mean? Yeah, that's so yeah. unbelievable. That it, I, yeah. it's my characters, who are they fighting with? Themselves. Right. You know? yeah. I also really like um, how you made Caleb, and I don't know if you did this intentionally or not, but you really did make him like a legit bad boy. He's not oh, just a tortured emo boy who's struggling with his su- suburban yeah, like, no, that- lifestyle. Yeah. Like, they yeah. made him a person with, like, anyone from the outside would look at him and be like, this kid is fucked up. No, I grew up, like, with kids like Caleb, and they scared me. Yeah. No, that was totally, totally, I mean, that was what I wanted from the get-go. Because I wanted to write a bad boy who had really done horrible things. And he has. And I wanted that because, I mean, one of the things that I find interesting about male characters in why is there's so much interesting if their flaws are like deep and I guess I'm trying to say tactfully true. Do you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. just it's yeah. it's yeah. easy to have a bad boy who's not really bad. Mm-hmm. But yeah. you know, but it's more challenging to write someone who's done something like actually hurt other people. You know, and, st- and still find a way to make him accessible and sympathetic. Right. Yeah. Because you are like, you want a bad boy? I will give you a bad boy. <laughs> like, here you go. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, I feel like some readers won't necessarily be ready for it because it doesn't fit in with what they want from a bad boy in a book. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. it's possible. So far, like I said, the reception has been, in, towards him has been pretty, you know, lovely, which is a nice thing, I have to admit. Um, but yeah, it was it was very interesting to write a character who, I mean, don't get me wrong, his parents have really done a number on him, yeah. but he's definitely not, you know, he doesn't have, he doesn't have a heart of gold. Let's put that <laughs> right. You know, and he's, he's, I mean, there's a little reason people, like, don't want to be around him. Yeah, Emma's friends are kind of freaked when she starts oh, hanging out with him. Yeah. Yeah, Olivia is like, are you, you know, like, what the hell are you doing, basically? Yeah, yeah. kind of like, okay, you finally really lost it. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. yet, readers are mad at Emma for being angry. Laura's I'm gonna harp on this again. Laura's a little upset about this, but... <laughs> Well, you know, and they're not so mad at Caleb. You know what I mean? I don't know. It's weird to me what people are getting upset about in the characters of this book. It's just, I think, again, like I said, when readers come to a book, I mean, one of the things that um, I always find interesting, and you guys post about this on Clear Eyes Full Shelf, and it's, you know, the how readers read books. And um, I think, remember the whole Allegiant controversy you know yes we remember and i think one of the things that i found so fascinating about that was you know anyone implying that you could somehow read the book wrong 
And I'm going to get personal here for a minute. When I was in 11th grade, my English teacher, every book we read, it, she, it had a meaning. And if you disagreed with her, oh, Lord. Well, oh, my junior high school English. Yeah, my junior, yeah. My junior uh, year, my teacher was the same way. Uh-huh. Um, Tom Sawyer. And I finally snapped, and I was like, there is no way the Mississippi stands for whatever the heck it was she said was. And she got so mad at me, she sent me to the principal. <laughs> oh! <laughs> I mean, I guess I've just had, I've just always believed that you can't read a book wrong. You just can't. I don't think you can either. Um, I mean, you know, I guess technically, all right, let's say you read the Bible and decide it's your life's mission to go around, you know, killing people or something. That probably would be a misreading. But, like, there's a <laughs> between, like, a threatening an author's life and being upset around about something about, about a book. I mean, so I, do I, I feel good when people don't like my books? No. I mean, when Living Dead Girl came out, the amount of hate mail I got not fun but at the same time you know people come to books with stuff in mind that i don't know about that i might not understand and that doesn't make their reactions invalid it just means they reacted to the book in a way that i didn't foresee or perhaps you know don't quite get yeah and i i mean i and I get upset when people don't like books that I like. Um, I, I will be the first oh, yeah, to admit that. Oh, yeah, me too. This is what, um, ha- this is what like, 90% of our a, book rage is. I know. I think there's also something to be said for um, just, I guess, the publishing market and climate where we start to see a lot of things where we see get certain cues when we're reading because we've seen plots and character development that sort of follow certain um, development and paths. Sure. And so, obviously, publishing wants to make money, right? Mm. And so, I think oftentimes when people are, um, you know, like the angry girl thing is often a trigger for people where they feel they they read an angry girl and they don't they don't like it. It's it's off putting. And I think part of that actually has to do with the way what's in the market. We don't see a lot of that, right. and so when we do, it almost can feel off or not. Yeah. Like, and I, so. Well, obviously, I'm not blaming, like, what's written on the way people respond, but at the same time, the way I do think that we start to see markers of how we expect, and I think with YA, there's a lot, you see a lot of where there's a lot of similar stuff that will, you know, whatever the trend happens to be. Yeah. Um, And I think another thing that's interesting is the, the... the gradual addition of older readers to the mix over the years. Uh-huh. That's been very interesting because over the past couple of years, I've gotten more and more reviews that start out, as a mother, I feel, and I'm just yeah. like, okay, it's great that you're reading my book. Thank you for reading it. But at the same time, no offense, I'm not writing a book for someone my age. I'm writing a book for the YA market. Right. right. And I do think that also, I think that's not something that, you can really discount is how that also, especially when you talk about who's, um, you know, writing reviews online and that sort of thing, um, the adult response does sort of skew the way, and it's hard, I mean, I can't remove that I'm an adult from my experience of reading a book for teens, and it's interesting because sometimes I'll read, um, 
actually I've read sort of three books in a row, more or less, that I've thought, I've liked, but I thought, like, man, when I was 16, this would have been, like, my favorite book, you know? <laughs> and and I, I'm pretty aware of how that, yeah. um, that sort of, I, it's hard to forget that I'm an adult sometimes. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, at least I'm aware. Um, well, for me, it's very easy for me to forget I'm an adult, so. It's <laughs> <laughs> necessary for my career. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, when you're, um, wanna, here's an example. Um, when Bloom came out, I got a note from a teenage girl who, she just hated the book. Absolutely hated the book. And the same girl wrote me again a year later, and she's like, I reread Bloom, and I really, really liked it. And I was like, wow, that's really kind of cool. And so, like, it's yeah. really cool. Yeah. And kind of sweet. She was like, she was like, well, when I read it the first time, I was just so angry at the main character for cheating on her boyfriend that I just couldn't think of anything else. And then she said, when I went back and reread it, I was just like, oh. So I think one of the best things about having teen readers is that they, one, they'll call you on any crap, period. Mm-hmm. And two is like, I think they, well, they still obviously are teenagers, so they understand things in a way that when you get older, I think maybe necessarily you have to let that kind of stuff go. Because being a Uh teenager is so intense, you know? And you get get passes when you're a teen because you are a teen and you're kind of learning how to manage yourself, I guess. and you, you kind of get passes as you're learning, and then you hit a certain age, and you don't get passes anymore. Um, and so, as an adult, I think sometimes I forget, I you know. Never, yeah, but it makes sense, because you're right. I mean, I've always thought of being a teenager as being, like, I still think it's one of the probably the most difficult period of life you ever go through. Oh, but, yes. <laughs> But you're right. As an adult, there are certain things that are expected of you, yeah. and you really get out of them. You know, like, yeah. I want to get out of paying my mortgage, you know? <laughs> but I don't get to get out of paying my mortgage. Yeah. Yeah, like, the bank doesn't care that you have a really good excuse. Yeah. <laughs> but your English teacher might care if you have a really good excuse for not doing your homework. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. but the not. They're going to be like, pay us our money or get out. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a good point. I had never, I hadn't really thought about it that way. Yeah, but it's one of the things that why I enjoy reading YA is because I kind of, it gives me an outlet sometimes because, you know, I, I don't really feel like I feel things less or get upset about things less um, than when I was a teenager. But, you know, as an adult, you just kind of also concurrently have learned the self-control to kind of override your initial reactions I guess but like when I read YA like I'm just like oh you know like, I remember I get oh, that feeling. you know I was like you know you kind of get to like live that feeling again and just get it out of your system yeah. when you're not really allowed to do that like outwardly as an adult like it's not acceptable anymore that's uh, that's actually why I love um Courtney Summers is one of my favorite yes authors. you should talk about her and um, oh, second book. Oh, my goodness. That book is, like, takes me right back to high school. Holy crap. That's an amazing book. Uh, is that, uh, uh, 
Some girls are, I think. Uh, yeah. yeah. Have, you haven't read it? No. I, oh, I can I, only read like one Courtney Summers book a year. You know that. Her books true. are super <laughs> intense. You know that. Like, um, I really like her books and I have them all on my shelf. I own them. Like, so it's not like she hasn't gotten support from me as a reader, <laughs> but like, I just can't always like but deal with. The experience of reading one of her books, like, I always feel like I've had this sort of like emotional catharsis. Yeah. From, because she really like confronts like all of that just like emotional yeah. stuff. And and I think she's an author who writes, like, angry, quote-unquote, unlikable, which is the word I hate. But I like, have issues with the you know whole likable, mean? unlikable. The unlikable girls. Yeah, I mean, her second book, I mean, it was, when I, I own, like, four copies of it. That's how much I love it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Tackle, like, a mean girl who's been kicked out of, and just, I was just like, Wow. I mean, because, like, Regina is legitimately not a nice person. She's done horrible things. And Courtney writes her with such grace and so much just... It's very respectful. Yeah. powerful, I feel like. I mean, she's definitely one of the authors, I think, who probably gets a lot of I hate this character review. So, yeah, as someone who, I mean, who writes characters who are often deemed unsympathetic. I, you know, it was just, I think that book is a revelation. I, that book is just, to me, just brilliant. Yeah. Like, it, it just kind of, it's so something we, that... We in, read podcast, we love Courtney Summers. Yeah. Well, you know, I have a deal, like we talk I have about a deal with Courtney, actually. She can come be a guest on our podcast when she finishes All the Rage. And she's not allowed to be a guest on the podcast. <laughs> Did you know about this deal? Until she finishes writing that book. That's like her That's like her carrot. For finishing. <laughs> <laughs> so, All right. Pretty summers, they're gunning for and you. And she before. listens, too. So, you know, she'll be like, oh, man, better get finished. See, we're doing this as a favor to all Courtney yeah. Summers fans here. Yeah. <laughs> but I really like that, I mean, I think in your case and in Courtney Summers' case, that you guys are unafraid, yeah. I think is a good word, to write these kind of characters. And I think it makes your books really powerful to me. Well, the thing is, I don't think my characters are unlikable, so I'm always surprised when people say they are. I mean, I to me, they're just teenage girls. Yeah. They're just, they're real teen girls, yeah. which is a hard thing. I think yeah. that's... You know, like, I was, when Bloom came out, I was shocked at how mad people were that Lauren cheated on her boyfriend. It just, I was like, oh, okay. I, I guess I kind of see that. But it was just surprising to me. And, um, Bloom is a book I have recommended to, um, when, cause I know a lot of teachers because my mom taught high school for a million years. So, and she's still substitutes. So I know all these teachers. It's a book I recommend to teachers who want to like read books about teenagers uh-huh. and like, or who want to like know some books to recommend to teens. Because I think that a lot of the stuff that she goes through is very normal. Oh, thank you. But not yeah. stuff that's, like, we really talk about. Yeah. You know, like, how she has a nice boyfriend. It's not, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah the book actually started on um, a dare. I was talking to a friend one day. And <laughs> I was like, you know what I'd like to see? 
I'd like to see a book about a girl with the perfect boyfriend because you know what? Having a perfect boyfriend would make you miserable because he'd be perfect and you wouldn't be. And so you'd always be reminded that you weren't perfect and it would suck. And she was like, we well, should write it. And I was like, ah. and she's like, no, I dare you. And I was like, fine. So that's actually. <laughs> I love that. That is. Cause I just thought like having a perfect boyfriend would suck because you would just feel crappy all the time because he'd be perfect. Like he'd never live up. Yeah. It would and be really stressful. <laughs> yeah, and that's one of Lauren's, you know, fears in the book is that Dave is such a great guy and she's normal. She's not perfect. Yeah, that's I highly if anyone has because when Bloom is is that like two thousand It was my first book, two thousand and seven. Yeah. And I you it's wrote your first you published your first book in two thousand seven? Yep. And you've, you've written, written 12. so many books. Oh my god. <laughs> I didn't do the math. Wow. <laughs> People are like, oh, you're a machine. But here's the thing, all right? Before I wow. sold, sold any YA books, I'd written three. Mm-hmm. And then it took, I sold three books in 2005. And it took three years for one of them to come out and four years for another. So I had plenty of time to write. So now people are like, oh, you're such a machine. I'm like, no, really, it's the fact that I, like, had, like... That's still a lot, though. That's a lot of books, (laughs) Still. Like, even factoring that in, that's still a lot of books. You can own that. You can say yes. I am a badass. (laughs) (laughs) But I I definitely... Bloom was one of those, like, that I really... I I actually think it's good for adults to read, to sort of see what's going on with girls. Yeah. I love that you wrote that on a dare. The most daring thing that I've ever done because of a dare is that I shaved my head once. I I feel like inadequate. I'm just like, oh, she like wrote a book on a dare and got it published? Man. Well, I didn't get published. I mean, I I really did. Again, like the, um, I never would have queried an agent if it hadn't been for my friends. I was content to just write books and just leave them on my hard drive. My friends kept nagging me to query an agent, so I finally did to, just to get them to leave me alone. And that that agent actually offered representation. So that was a, kind of a shocker. That's kind of an incredible story. I, I know. I that. really like that. I had a caveat. That agent turned out to be total crap and ended up getting run out of the business. And thank God I got away from her really quickly and landed a much, much better agent who I'm still with. Um, so it's, it's not still a wonderful story. Yeah. I mean, it's man. A, it was one of those things when it happened, I was like, uh, this not supposed to happen. Not to me. Uh, you know, <laughs> I was really just flabbergasted. I just, I mean, to this day, I, I never had thought of myself as a very creative person. So the fact that I write novels for a living is still kind of mind boggling. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I didn't write a word of fiction ever until I was 27, so I kind of wow. came pretty late. Oh, that's a really awesome story. I think so, too. That makes me really happy. I know. I, I like that. Well, I mean, I mean you like just hear it. Like, it can happen, like, like, at any, you know... Yeah. I feel like there's this idea among artists in general that you have to be driven from the and time have you pop out of the womb. That well, pre- that you have to be devoted to your craft from the day you're born. Like, And I like the fact that you can live a little bit and then get into your art. Yeah. You know what I, I mean? I teach in an art college, and there's this sort of interesting sort of mythos about 
the artist and this sort of like these young yes. people who have this drive and this muse and it comes to them and it's their life. And I will tell you the best artists that I see at the school are people who are like 40 and have wanted to sort of try something new. Yeah. And they do some of the most creative and unusual and distinctive work. It's really, so I, I like it when. I feel like I've seen works. that a lot, like going through music school also. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like you have this group of people who have been, who love music and have been really driven to be good at it from a young age. Um, but then you have these other people who maybe, who always did kind of like it, but maybe they're more casual about it. They're not in music school. You know, they have another major, but they use the practice rooms and hang out. And, like, some of them, there was one in particular who was just amazing. Like, Mm -hmm. he understood more about music than pretty much anybody in the music building. He could play, like, ten instruments and was teaching himself how to play the violin. And, like, he was amazing, you know? Um, And it's interesting to me how, like, you have this dichotomy of people who are, like, so driven on this one thing and then the other people who aren't so focused on that one thing uh, but are still can do it. Definition of not focused. Like, when I... I mean, all through school, like, um, when I was, you know, in school, I would, like, go out of my way to avoid creative writing assignments. When I was in college, I had I did that, too! <laughs> I had to take one English class that had a creative writing element, and I hated it. I just could not stand it. the exact same experience. And so, like, I just, um, it's just really, it's... I feel so, when people write to me and they ask for writing advice, and I just feel like I can't give them any, because I spent so much, I mean, I just fell into writing, you know. You're just like, I avoided it as much as possible, and then it all came out of me in, like, six years. The only thing, I guess, I I think the thing that might have really persisted is that I love to read, and I still love to read. I mean, honestly, my dream job is someone pays me money to read books. If oh someone, my God, that would be awesome. Someone came to me tomorrow and said, look, Elizabeth, you don't have to write another word again. All you have to do is read books. I'd be like, great. Bye, fiction. See ya. <laughs> so I had to take um, a, a, a class in college as part of my general education requirement because mm-hmm. my lovely college, which I love, but this annoyed me. I'm still annoyed about this. <laughs> American University. <laughs> DC, they um, they required that you take some kind of something with some kind of creative writing component. So I took this class that sounded the most literature heavy, and I had to write a poem. Yeah. I had it was oh. like anxiety, like anxiety. I don't think I've ever had such bad anxiety as when I had to do that assignment. Oh yeah, this, I, oh, know. It gets, I know. It gets worse. It gets worse. My mother happened to be visiting me. Oh no, during this time, and my mother. English teacher, loves to write, <laughs> loves poetry. She was like, why are you so stressed out? I'm like, I have to write this poem. Da, 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 da. And she's like, I'll just do it for you. So my mother wrote, I'm probably going to have my degree revoked now. My, my mother wrote listen to this. my poem for me. I turned it in. I thought it was pretty good because I think my mom's a pretty good writer. I got, like, a B on it. My mother's like, what grade did we get on that assignment? I'm like, a B. She was livid. Livid. 
She was like, that was A quality work. I'm, like, I'm surprised you weren't livid because it brought down your GPA. Well, actually, I ended up getting an A minus in that class. So, anyway, but um, wow. it was, my mother was like, I think you need to discuss this with your professor. I'm like, Mom, you did my homework for me, and I am 21 years old. I'm not going to discuss this with my professor. I'm going to take my B and, like, be okay with it. <laughs> That's how afraid I was of, like, anything creative. <laughs> I mean, uh, I had to write, I think, a poem and a short story. And I remember I couldn't think of anything to do for the short story, so I just wrote a short story about a girl who had to write a short story, and she really hated doing it. Oh, that's really, like, meta. Oh, I like that. <laughs> I should have written my poem about how I didn't want to write a poem. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so. I wasn't good at, like, the fiction writing. Like, I took different writing classes in college, and the ones that I really excelled at were more of the personal essay kind of classes. Which yeah. is why I think I'm a mildly decent blogger, because it's really similar. Yeah, no, you're good at that sort of writing. Um, but, like, fiction is really hard for me. <laughs> As it should be, because it's a difficult craft. Yeah. Man, though, poetry, man. Oh, man, poetry. Oh. <laughs> oh. I read I read one poem every day, because poets make the best writers. I mean, they just do, because they use, I mean... It's just some of my, like Helen Dunmore, for example, who's one of my favorite novelists, is a poet. Uh, Sophie Hanna, again, poet. And it's just, there's something about poets and the way they're able to use words. It just, when they write fiction, it just translates. I agree with you because I've noticed even, um, like, I've come across books and I've been like, I wonder if this person has a poetry background because they've done some really interesting things with, like, phrasing and sentence structure and they do um like Marianne Rivers who writes like adult contemporary romance was a poet and like fairly prolifically published from what I understand and the first time I read a book by her I was like wow she has some really interesting like even like the paragraph length and like a lot of that sort of almost the physicality of the way the words are arranged on the page and so it was very unsurprising to me with to discover that she was a poet because she did some does very interesting things with words and language and that sort of thing. It's so like I you know I keep thinking if I read enough poetry by you know somehow maybe by osmosis it'll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So I actually we're gonna have to need we're gonna need to wrap up because I'm starting to get the little red warning light on my computer that the battery is <laughs> gonna die. <laughs> talking for one hour and 16 minutes and counting. Yeah. <laughs> but I enjoyed it so much. I really did. Um, and I, I want to give everyone a plug to be sure to check out Heartbeat when it comes out on, is it the 28th that it comes January out? January um, It's really, really wonderful. It's your first book with Harlequin Teen, uh-huh. um, which is, and I, they've been doing some really wonderful promotion about it because I've seen it mentioned in a lot of places, which makes Yay! me so happy. Thank <laughs> I've got it too, believe me. <laughs> so do you have uh, anything else going on that we should know about or um, anything else we need to know about Heartbeat or anything you just need to get off your chest? Yeah. <laughs> oh, actually, yes. Uh, in the hardcover of Heartbeat, there is actually an excerpt from my next novel, uh, <gasps> Lies. It's not a long excerpt, but it's a short excerpt. Um, and, uh, yeah. 
that novel's definitely going to be interesting when that one comes out. So, so are you going to tell us anything about it? So we can... Nope. Oh! <laughs> You're so nope. mean. So mean. Uh... <laughs> and if you read the teaser, uh, you know, you'll get an idea of what's coming, sort oh, of. Oh, that's exciting. Okay. Good to know. That's good information. <laughs> I can give you one more thing. Um, I got the idea for the book when I was cleaning the bathroom, and the first thing I wrote was the last chapter. Oh. Oh. Interesting. Okay. So maybe there, and also the moral of that is maybe it's not the worst thing to clean your bathroom every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. Because you might be struck by creative inspiration. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Clean your bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Clear Eyes Full Shelves podcast. Be sure to check out our book reviews, recommendations, opinion, and all-around nerdy badassery at cleareyesfullshelves.com or on Twitter at Full Shelves. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Until next time, Clear Eyes Full Shelves can't lose.